Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. I'm reading from the New International Version. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, to Jesus, with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses and the account of the bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. What does it mean for us to have a self? This is the question I want to ask. The Oxford English Dictionary defines the self in this way. A person's essential being that distinguishes them from others, especially considered as the object of introspection or reflexive action. What's the I? What is the thing looking at me through your eyes? What is the thing in me looking at you through mine? Who are you? What are you? Who are we? What am I? This I that I experience, that I spend a lot of time being really concerned about, what is it? Who am I? Is it biological? Is it simply some weird combination of cells and neurons and chemicals? What is it? Is it relational? Is it some weird combination of the environment that we're in and the biology that we have that comes together to look at me out of those eyes? Is it materially distinct from our biology? Is there something about the eye that's not biological? Is it some kind of energy or spirit? What is it? Is that eye at all metaphysical? Is it beyond material? Is it beyond the kind of basic stuff of this universe? Is it something supernatural? When we say things like, be true to yourself, or be who you are, or this is who I am, when we say those things, what are we talking about? What do we mean? Bound up in that sort of a thought project are questions of identity, personhood, self, Somehow it's these kind of questions that are lingering beneath the objections that the Sadducees had to resurrection from the dead. They thought resurrection from the dead, according to the historical resources, was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous proposition. And they had lots of reasons for it. But most of them come down to what they thought the I was. What they thought the self was. And we're going to consider Jesus' responses to their objections. And there are three spheres of self that the Sadducees assume and Jesus has to discuss. The first is rules. The second is relationships. And the third will be resurrection. 
So we're going to look first at rules. Look again at the passage there, beginning in verse 18. Then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they say, they said, Moses wrote for us. Moses wrote for us. Now the Sadducees appear to have held a pervasive assumption. It's one that we share today in many places and corners of the world, and it's been shared throughout human history. And it's the assumption that whatever we are, whatever I am, whatever I mean when I say I should be who I am, that somehow that has something to do with my culture, my tradition, my ethics, my values. We are essentially defined by those practices and beliefs that distinguish us from other cultures. And so the Sadducees were Jewish. And as the Jewish people, they believed themselves to be defined in large part by their adherence to the law of Moses. This is what made them different than everybody else. Who we are is tied to the rules we follow, to our cultures. They assume that the law of Moses, therefore, would continue to guide the Jewish people if there were a resurrection from the dead. That Jews would continue to be Jews. And therefore they would still continue to live and act in Jewish ways. That kosher would be in eternity. That washing of hands and sacrificing of animals and all that sort of thing. They assumed it would have to be the case because that's who we are. And so this leveret law, as it's called in Deuteronomy chapter 25, that required. So, so, for them, if there was no male heir to inherit, we had to make sure there was a male heir or the widow would be homeless and without any means to support herself. And so the Leveret Law was put into place through the Law of Moses and it was active prior to that even, where the next brother in the family had to produce a child for his brother who had passed away. So they're assuming that that's a law of Moses, that's part of what makes us Jewish, and therefore, if we resurrect from the dead, we'll resurrect as Jews, of course, and we'll still be following the Leveret Law. But of course, the Leveret Law won't make any sense in eternity, so resurrection is ridiculous. That's their assumption. But Jesus denied the eternal validity of the law. He denied the eternal definition of these Sadducees as Jews. And I think the permanence of our cultural context have been affected as well. Culture is not permanent. I believe it was these kinds of teachings of Jesus that led the Apostle Paul eventually to make a confession, which we find in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. Listen to it in this context. This is Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Slave nor free, male nor female, we'll get back to those. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. So are we defined 
essentially by our cultures, by the rules and the habits and the traditions that we follow. Well, of course, popularism says, yes, how could you not be that? That's who you are. Everything you think, everything you feel, everything you do is bound up in that. Of course that's you. But Jesus insists, no, the eye looking at me through your eyes is not that. There's something else. Something what? Let's look at relationships. Look at verse 18 again. And the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there are seven brothers, and you know how the hypothetical story goes. Scholars spend a lot of time trying to decide if they got this from somewhere, if they made it up on the spot. I'm not sure you care about that. I don't. But what we have, essentially, in this story is that this woman, if she's going to be resurrected, we want to know who she's going to be. And essential in this culture is to determine first whose she's going to be. Because in the culture of the Sadducees, women were possessed by their husbands. And even though the law of Moses sort of permitted, though it discouraged, it sort of permitted men to have multiple wives, it did not allow women to have multiple husbands. And so this is the big issue for the Sadducees. If the law of Moses is going to last forever, and if we're going to keep being Jews in the resurrection, and we have a Jewish woman who's been married seven times, and all those husbands died, if everybody's resurrected together, whose will she be? And of course for the Sadducees, the next logical conclusion is, see, resurrection is ridiculous. The Sadducees appear to have been working from it. A commonly held human assumption, it's still held today. And it's the assumption that whoever you and I may be is inextricably linked to our relational contexts. Now the Sadducees were assuming that self-definition, who you are, that eye looking at me through your eyes, was irredeemably dependent on those connections. This assumption led them to conclude that resurrection of the dead was rationally unsustainable. Who we are relationally is so dependent on the reality and the permanence of death that to be resurrected would throw identity into chaos. No one would know who they were married to. No one would know whose children they are. No one would know where they belonged or what culture. Can you imagine my ancestors fighting over whether I'm really a Swede or a person from France? Or I mean, How would we even line up? You see, resurrection of the dead begins to change fundamentally what we think of ourselves. And then there's this response of Jesus, which is so upending and so paradigm-breaking that even few today know what to do with it. And even the Church of Jesus Christ has barely wanted to deal with this passage. Jesus says, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise... Jesus says this like it's so matter-of-fact... When the dead rise, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. And the Sadducees are sitting there going, What did he, what did he say? No marriage? You see, for Jesus, the relationships that define us on earth are not essential to who we are in the resurrection. They are so defining for us here on earth. 
I can't even see myself without these relationships of son and father and husband and employee and pastor and whatever else. And yet Jesus seems to assume that one in the resurrection, all that, gone. The relationships that define us on earth are not essential to who we truly are. She will not be anyone's wife in the resurrection. Relationships will be redefined. Jesus seems to be revealing that in the new heaven and the new earth and the resurrection, there will be no male nor female. We are assigned a gender on earth that we have to be good stewards of, but it's not who we are. Is that possibly what Jesus is saying? All the other things that happen to us in the flesh when we've been raised by abusive parents or loving parents, when we've been raised by neglectful parents, or when we're raised by parents who are always there, if we were spoiled rotten, or we were not allowed anything, all that stuff, the abuse and the scars that we accumulate in our flesh because of the relationships in our lives, of course it becomes self-definition. How could it be anything else? This is who we are. I can't see myself without all this garbage. And yet Jesus says... That won't be there in the resurrection. Again, I believe it's these kinds of teachings of Jesus that led Paul to the confession in Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to read it again. Listen again with these ears. You are all sons of God. It's a different kind of relationship. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through trust in Jesus Christ, through loyalty to Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, cultural context. Slave nor free, cultural context. Male nor female, gender distinction. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are we essentially defined by our rules, by our cultures, by our traditions, by our families? We're definitely informed by that. But if they're not going to be there in the resurrection, then there's got to be an eye behind your eyes that's not that. Are we defined by our relationships? Well, yes, we are. How can we not be? They shape us. Are we defined by those things? Apparently, Jesus has said no to most of them. Did you catch these passages? For Jesus, the relationship that defines us is our relationship with God in Christ. Does that mean that these other things don't have power while we're here? No, it doesn't. If you're not appreciative of your context, you will struggle. But what I'm trying to help you to do is tease apart the I from that. And so we conclude with this last context in which Jesus wants the Sadducees to reconceive themselves. And it's in the context of resurrection. Look at verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Now, according to the historical resources that we have access to, the Sadducees believed that the first five books of the Hebrew Bible were more authoritative than all the rest. In our Bible, they're Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
And so the Sadducees would have wanted an answer about resurrection from those five books. Now, it's easier actually to argue for resurrection from the other books, but Jesus was apparently respectful of that tradition, and he kept his argument within those books. And he didn't just pick any text. Jesus cited Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. We find these words. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, those scholars debate what's at stake there for Jesus. To my reading, Jesus' point appears to have been that God spoke not as though He had been the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For Jesus, this implies that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the mind of God were still real existing people. If God could speak of his relationship with Abraham a thousand years after Abraham had died, then Abraham's death could not be permanent in the mind of God. So who we are? Who are we and what is our existence? For Jesus, who we are is tied up in the resurrection from the dead. In this world, many things vie for our self-definition. Many things influence and shape how we live and how we move and how we think and how we feel in this place. Even so, who we are ultimately lies in the hands not of where we've been or what people have taught us or what people have done for us or to us or what patterns we've learned from our families and our cultures and our times. Who we ultimately are, who the eye behind the eyes really is somehow, lies in the hands of the God who will not simply bring us back from the dead, but who will resurrect us from the dead. Your promise is that God will not reanimate you after you've died, but that He will resurrect you from the dead. Galatians chapter 3, I've read it twice, here's the third. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are we essentially defined by our rules? I think Jesus says no. Are we essentially defined by our relationships? Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? No, we're not. Who we are, and this is my favorite phrase from the book of Colossians, is hidden with Christ in God. You haven't met yourself yet. All the other stuff is getting in the way. Because if you were just where you've been, then there's nothing that's been harmed. There's just the harm. So why does it bother you so much if it's just who you are? Because you know it's not. There was something there that this was done to. And that is what he's saving. And that is what the world cannot destroy. Who we are is hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ with God. Who we are cannot be tied to what's temporary and fleeting. 
So I can't be these genes and this biology, this crazy chemical stuff going on in my brain. I can't be because this is not going to last. This is not going to be resurrected. So I can't be who I am. These contexts, my relationships, my ethnicity, my nations, my culture, it can't be. It's all, when I go into that ground, it goes with me. What comes out is something else. It's me, it's that I, but without the stuff. In the resurrection, we'll have new bodies, a new heaven and a new earth, new context, new relational con connections, new senses of gender, if they have any meaning, and new senses of intimacy. If who we are will be there as it is here, then we must be defined essentially by that resurrected self and not by the self we find here. Jesus is trying to help us to embrace a new concept of self. And He's not telling us that these relationships are unimportant or that we don't have to struggle with what's been done to us. Of course we do. But there's this great story in uh, The Voyage of the Don Treader by C.S. Lewis, in which this young man, because of his corruption and his greed and his hate, has been transformed into a dragon. And he's lost who he was to the dragon. He can't speak anymore. He can barely write. He's lost all those things that make him civilized. He's really become a dragon. He's not just a human in a dragon's body. He's slowly becoming a dragon that has a vague memory of having been human. And he runs into the Jesus character in those stories, Aslan, the lion. And, and Aslan says, take it off. Take off the dragon. And so he begins to claw at himself with his claws, and he peels off an outer layer of skin. But underneath, still dragon. And so he tries it again, and he peels off another layer, but he's still dragon. And so he does it again, and he peels off another layer, but he's still dragon. And then Aslan says to him, the lion, let me do it. And so the lion comes with his terrible claws. And he sinks them into that dragon flesh. And Eustace, the boy, is tortured. It's painful. Those claws feel like they've gone right into his organs. And Aslan tears at him. And he screams. But the dragon flesh comes off. And when Aslan has done his work, there he is, the boy again. The eye, in the eyes. And he's made new. That's resurrection! This is why our hope is in Jesus. And why His resurrection means everything to the church. There is no church if Christ was not raised from the dead. As Paul says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we of all people are most miserable. For we are still in our sins. You will be dragons forever. You can peel off the outer layers, but you will never be free. The eye you've been trying to find will never be found. You will only be what the world has made you into. You're nothing. You are a victim. You are accumulation of the sins of this place. And you will die as all things in this world do. That's the story of the world. But the story of the gospel is that the eye to which all this has happened, the eye which has been accumulating the scars, will be free. Jesus said it this way in the Gospel of Matthew. I'll conclude with this. Verse 37. 
chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Relationships, context, culture. How could he say it any clearer? If you love who you are more than me, if you love your traditions more than me, if you love your family more than me, if you love your values more than me, you are not worthy of me. You hear him saying it? Let me tear the dragon off, but I love being a dragon! Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The future, what I'm building into, my legacy, my heart, my genes, my, my, myself going on into the future. Verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The eye will be healed. This is the challenge for us and the hope of the gospel. The Sadducees misunderstood. They thought that they would be who they are today in the resurrection. And that therefore they had to live into, if the resurrection even existed, they had to live into it out of who they are. But the difference that Jesus makes is, you, He says mostly, you guys are fools, you don't know what you're talking about. Because in the resurrection, all that's going to be stripped off. You have to live today into who you will be. Not live today out of who you have been. You need to live today into the future in which you will be free. Not out of the past in which you were slaves. Who are you? Who am I? He knows. You don't. The world doesn't either. We've been entrusted with gender. We've been entrusted with our ethnic heritage. We've been entrusted with our families. And we must be good stewards of these things while we're here. But they do not define us. They are not who we will be. Who we will be is hidden with Christ in God. We will not be reanimated. We will be resurrected. This is the journey to follow Jesus. Is the journey to find out who we really are.